Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Candola and Will Dalton. How are you today, guys? Good, thank you. Hi, everybody. Very good. How are you, Julian? Are you well? I'm all right. Yeah, not too bad. Busy, busy. Good. But otherwise, fine. Yeah, busy good, not busy bad. So, news to start with. Will, do you want to go first with your story this week? Yeah, sure. So, if you want any more reason to treat content on social media platforms with a large pinch of salt, look no further than it's reporting on the Indian pandemic. So, this is from Wall Street Journal and The Verge, although The Verge got its information from Media Nama, which is an Indian news, Indian news site. I'm sure you've all read it. Facebook blocks posts with the tag Resign Modi for several hours, and they didn't explain why they did that. And in The Verge, the article is about how Twitter has removed a whole load of tweets critical on the Indian government handling of the coronavirus pandemic. You can see that in the news as we speak. It's pretty tragic. And they did that at the request of the Indian government. So they do it, it seems, at a request of local laws, looking over whether the law is actually legit in itself. A censorship of any type of government criticism really does shed light on the farcical nature of social media news reporting. And it reminds me, anyone remember the Daily or Sunday Sport <laughs> newspaper? Are you, um, are, you, no. are you old enough to remember that? <laughs> Do we want to admit remembering that? <laughs> Classic headlines in the Daily Sport were World War II bomber found on moon or bus found buried at the South Bowl. You know, at least they didn't take themselves seriously and were, were actually fun, yeah. unlike social media sites. Reinforces why you should all carefully look and pick legitimate news sources. And social media really shouldn't be in your top 10. Why did that remind you of the Daily Sport? <laughs> I'm still struggling. And my brain is just sort of going 10 to the dozen to work out how those two things connected in yours. Because they, they made up news stories as well. Oh, I see. Right. But at least they were open about it. Right. I got you. I got you. I think, uh, Jatinda, you touched on this once in a previous episode, didn't you? Talking about some really senior tycoon or something yeah. in India who, who, who knocked some posts off by lobbying or something. Definitely. So basically, this is the second time it's happened on a major news store in India. So um, as of about November time, there's been a mass protest outside Delhi, which is the capital of India. And that protest is farmers' protest from mainly from the Punjab region and associated states because the farming industry is being sold by the Indian government to these private corporations. They're changing the kind of market where farmers can actually sell and that is being sold to some very rich Indian tycoons so the same tycoons that have shares and influence in Facebook and Twitter and all that this is a global protest there's protests going on in other countries and the media has been reporting that they're terrorists and that these guys are just uneducated people that don't understand it because they the Indian use those words loosely don't they terrorism yeah, Whenever they want to criticize someone or shut them down yeah. from whatever they're saying, they just call them a terrorist. It's an easy way to kind of get that tribal kind of concept of they're against us. Yeah. yeah. It's a motive word. Anti-state actors. It's also got parallels to the whole low information voter thing in the Trump era in America, hasn't it, with social media, where anyone who wasn't voting for him was declared a low information voter, yeah. i.e. Stupid, effectively, was the implication. And again, it's the the low education slander, I suppose, or whatever you want to call it, that's that's coming out again there. It always seems to be in relation to social media that calling someone a terrorist or 
yeah. effectively poorly educated is a, is a way of effectively trying to invalidate their argument, which is obviously nonsense. Exactly. And they went to the extent of getting very high profile Bollywood actors to put out tweets to support the Indian government. And the funny thing was, it was the same content. So each of these actors used pretty much the same words. And it was very obvious that it was a government led kind of thing. Mm. And there was actually a funny video of a Bollywood actress who used to be like a list celebrity that was filmed. And she just said, yeah, use my Twitter account for whatever you want. I just want this much money. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. Like this, this has been going on for a long time, and yeah, it's just revisiting that same cycle again. You get yeah. more, you get more accurate news in the daily and Sunday sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a very common thing in India as well, though, isn't it? That they, that the people, there's a big connection between Bollywood and and politics because a lot of people Absolutely. go into it from yeah. sports and and film and stuff, don't they? Anyway, so continuing on the on the India theme, because my story bizarrely also concerns India and the impact of the COVID nineteen pandemic obviously i will do my usual thing of saying it's a very serious thing and our, our thoughts are with anybody who's affected by the the pandemic over there because it's obviously absolutely tragic what's happening in india but in terms of the it angle and without meaning to be insensitive there are you know there are big repercussions as a result of this and one of them is that obviously a huge amount of software development is done in india it's outsourced to india because there are skilled developers over there who are willing to work for less than skilled developers in other countries if we're being honest and there's been a massive impact on several large vendors and the one that I found a new story on was VMware. So VMware are responsible for a number of products. VM usually stands for virtual machine in our industry. It's run on a piece of software called a hypervisor. I won't go into all of that stuff. But basically, there have been some, because of the surging second wave in, in India, there's been some very large impacts on VMware's product development um, efforts, specifically around, in previous episodes, we've talked about the new Apple M1 architecture coming along, the, the new chips that Apple are launching, which are effectively their own chip with their own instruction set on it. We've talked about that a couple of times. And that's meant that a lot of software providers have had to rewrite their software to be compatible with that architecture. And hey, presto, here we go. Here's a story where this has now started to bite both sides because Fusion, which is the VMware Fusion, which is the hypervisor for, for Macs, developed Development of that for the M1 chipset has been massively delayed uh, in the past few weeks because of this uh, horrendous pandemic that's going on in India. So the pandemic over there is having huge repercussions across the whole of the tech world because of the amount of outsourcing to India that's done, particularly in badly affected, well-off areas of India where these developers and, and people managing them are working. So uh, yeah, it's interesting to see how that kind of impact in a, in a country that maybe a lot of people in the Western world or whatever would would not have at the forefront of their thoughts. It's interesting to see how that actually impacts on on our industry quite so heavily. So yeah, they've been really, really badly delayed with um, being able to put that together. And it looks like there's no end in sight for, for those delays because you can't just shift that production from India to somewhere else easily. It's a non-trivial thing to do. So interesting IT story. I They're think. not locked down either. Are they? Oh, I mean, I don't know, actually. There's no national lockdown. So I suppose it's been... Yeah. I think it's hard to lock down because a lot of them live on the streets as well. What, VMware developers? Yeah, <laughs> some of them as well. I was just going to make that joke, but I thought maybe not. It's a bit... <laughs> I'll leave that to Will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if anyone's going to incriminate themselves or say anything outrageous, it should probably be I Will. I like VMware anyway. No, I'm not a huge fan either, but I mean, you know, it's a well, it's a well-used, well-known product. You don't get much bigger in terms of software products in our industry than VMware, I don't think. Unless you talk about Windows or MacOS or something, you know, or Android. It's uh, it's pretty big, isn't it? Mm. Fantastic. Jatinda, did you want to go next with your new story? 
Yep. So my news story is about a British Indian engineer who studied at uh, Bath University. He has invented a washing machine that is cranked by the handle, manual washing machine, hand cranked, so that it can be shared and given out to people in poorer regions of the world so that they have better means to which wash their clothes. So it's an invention. And it's being pushed out at scale to poorer parts of the world, such as parts of India, refugee camps in Iraq, Greece as well, and several other countries like that. So it's a good news story in a sense that it's an invention that will help lots of people and improve their quality of life because it currently takes lots of people back-breaking effort and hours to wash clothes by hand at the moment. So um, this volunteers project has grown and it's got national media interest in the UK on the BBC. That's where I got the article. And they're hoping to give out at least 7,500 machines to disadvantaged people in Iraq in the refugee camp soon, and then another 100,000 in the next two years. Amazing. Cool. You know, there was something similar happened many moons ago to do with radios to remember this where they had a hand cranked radio ah yeah that was oh what was his name the guy who invented that he's famous wasn't he what happened with it Is it trevor bayless or somebody who invented the the hand crank radio it's it, some someone was very got famous for inventing that but yeah that was uh, that was a big thing wasn't it one thing that occurs to me is whatever you do, please don't tell Emma, my wife, who works for the company, there's such a thing as a hand crank washing machine because she will buy one and put it in our garden and then insist that I stand there for, for hours on end just turning the crank. What's wrong with your electric one? <laughs> we should probably get rid of that and just make me do it. Uh, Save electricity, I suppose. Eh, well, good for the planet, I suppose. Less good for me. Anywho, enough of that. So today's episode, the main topic is about game theory. So, Will, you're going to take us through the, the intro to this one. Yeah. Game theory. So um, we talked a while back about GAN, generative adversarial networks, tech behind deep fakes. Yep. Um, an interesting cousin. Last episode, in fact, I think we mentioned it, didn't we? Was it? Yeah. Okay. And game theory is part of GAN. It's sort of the engine that drives GAN, which tweaked my interest because I didn't really know much about game theory. Also, when I when I was watching Arrival, remember that film? You love it, Julian. Uh, Aliens Landing. They use language to, to understand them. There was a term zero-sum game was mentioned in that in that movie i didn't really i, I like the term but i didn't really understand what the term meant but that comes from game theory as well so the game in game theory is it playing a game like football chess rock paper scissors is that all based on game theory or or should i say can you can you apply game theory to playing these games well in a way in that playing games involves decisions and game theory is all about decision-making in human uh, and computers come to that. Game in game theory is any interaction between people in which the outcome is affected by the decision of others. So every move is ultimately governed by taking a decision. And a game, any game you play, is nothing more than making decisions. And those decisions are broken down into smaller and smaller decision-making situations. Like. So a whole collection of decisions, in, if you like, mm. is the strategy of the game. So if we go back to our examples of football and chess and stone, paper, scissors, game theory won't apply to those games with perfect information, if you like. Yeah? So you know all the information of a particular game. So you can apply a strategy, you know, a, a pure strategy, because you know all the information to a game and you can win. 
Yeah. So game theory doesn't work when you know all that information. So out of football, chess, paper, stone, paper, scissors, the only one of those games where you actually could know all the information, believe it or not, is chess. You can actually know all the information of chess mm. and, and win from the strategy. Football and, and stone, paper, scissors, you can't. There's different random information in it, and there's different strategies that you can apply. So for rock, paper, scissors, you can have three pure strategies. You know, I like using rock, paper, scissors as my example. <laughs> you, could, you could continually <laughs> play stone, you could continually play paper, or you could continually play scissors, yeah? So, you know, if I, if I, it's like sort of playing with my, with my son, Archie, he'll continually play, play stones, but you'll soon get that he's always going to play stone. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're <laughs> you can defeat that particular strategy fairly easily by putting in place your paper. Yeah. And then cover. And if you continue to play stones, you know, you think, okay, well, I've got a pretty stupid son here. Um, so I hope he's not listening. Yeah, along with my wife. Let's, let's put that on the internet so that it's permanently out there, shall we? <laughs> so what do you do? You can't play that single strategy. What do you do? So you you soon learn, and hopefully Archie will at some point, that you can't carry on playing stones. Yeah, you've got to mix up your strategy. So you've got to mix up playing stone, and you've got to mix it with some scissors. Now you can do that by, for example, you could roll a dice and you say, every time it's one and two, I'll do rock. Every time it's two and three, I'll do paper. Every time it's five and six, I'll do scissors. Do you know what I mean? So mm. there's a, a randomized element to where you play rock, paper, scissors. But when, you know, what strategy would you use? How do you mix those strategies? What is the best mix of strategies to make you win or give you the highest probability to win? And this is where the, the theory of, of games come in. This is where the maths behind game theory comes in. They're choosing the right particular strategy. So describing how this works, and I'll talk about applying that theory to an example, which is a classic example in game theory, and that's the prisoner dilemma. Ah, is that where... <laughs> I think I've heard of this, actually. Is that where... You have two prisoners and you're going to interrogate them and they come up with a strategy uh, because you've kept them in solitary confinement to work their way through the decision process. So if one prisoner is to betray the other, they would get a, I don't know, a sentence of two years. If that same prisoner remains silent and the other prisoner isn't silent, then they get three years and Sorry, I messed that up. If the first prisoner betrays the second prisoner, they are then free, whereas the second prisoner gets two years in prison. And if the first prisoner remains silent and betrays the second prisoner, then they serve the sentence and prisoner two is free. I fucked this up completely, haven't I? We need to start again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was suggesting we do that bit again. We cut that out, Charlie. No, so. it's great. We'll keep it. We'll but keep that is, it. That's basically that's exactly right, though. <laughs> so basically, yeah, it's if they. I think it's if they betray each other. Isn't it? So if they betray each other, two of them are in prison for they get like an even sentence. Yeah. But if if they yeah, if one remains silent and the other betrays them, then they get set free and so on and so forth. And there is a I think the idea behind this is right that there is a there is an optimum route that you can find where both of them get the best compromise. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. You know, when you're when you're modeling games, there are sort of four things that you'd apply, four four different categories that goes into game theory. One is the type of decisions. The other is the type of game. The third is the properties of the game. And then there are a whole set of rules. You know, the rules that you get on the side of a uh, side of the game, two or more players, each player has two or more choices. Now, in terms of the types of decision, there are three decisions, three decision-making situations or three decision types. Deterministic, yeah, where all the options and outcomes are known. Yeah, so nothing's to chance. 
probabilistic, yeah, this is a decision that's under risk, you know. So it, it might happen, it's probably going to happen, but there is a risk that it might not. And uncertain, where there's just not enough information. Otherwise, otherwise known as a guess. So like all my project planning activity and IT projects, it's completely, completely uncertain type of decision. Yeah, I was doing some reading about this stuff, actually, and there was a couple of things around uncertainty that I wanted to mention. The examples that I was looking through were to do with using game theory in the modeling of foreign policy. So I'll probably come back to this a couple of times. But it's interesting, actually, that game theory looks at uncertainty in two different ways that I I found out about anyway. So one is is kind of the source of uncertainty, which arises because you've got completely random events that happen, or, or this is in in quite advanced game theory modeling anyway. So in the uh, in the old foreign policy thing, that might be something like a world leader dying or a natural disaster or something like that. So really sort of unknown unknowns. And then there's the, the other ones which are where you can guess more what the uncertainty is going to be. They're not quite the same things as risks, but you can account for them more easily. And it's interesting that a lot of game theory has different ways of dealing with those two different types of uncertainty because you you kind of almost have to just take a punt on some scenarios as to whether or not a natural disaster or someone just dropping stone dead out of nowhere is going to happen but then there's also systematically reducing uncertainty by running lots of permutations and all that kind of stuff isn't there so so there's different there's different layers that you can go down to i think within game theory as well especially in terms of dealing with uncertainty right okay yeah, so that would you know the more the more layers that you can apply makes the makes the type of decision maybe more probabilistic or more deterministic. So yeah, you're moving absolutely. away from that. You're moving away from if you like random guesses by applying more theory to, to to change the types of decisions that you're going to make. The other three parts to game theory is the type of game. So these decisions together form you know form the game itself, and the types of game you can be cooperative or non-cooperative. So cooperative is, as an example, pandemic game. So pandemic game was mentioned in a, in a book by Kate Rayworth, Donut Economics, oh, which yeah, yeah. is a collaboration game. So everyone benefits by mm. working together. So here's a good is example. Is that pandemic as in the, as in the board game? The pandemic. board game, yeah. Board game yeah, pandemic, yeah, which yeah. is great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, science recently, over the last year, you know, their type of game has been very cooperative to develop a vaccine in record-breaking time. Mm. A real win situation in there. Now, the opposite of that is non-cooperative. So think of Monopoly. And probably it's recommended by every capitalist in that there are going to be winners and they're going to be losers. So if we use the vaccine and pandemic example, for example, politicians, mm. yeah, who potentially aren't particularly rational, but in their way in which they've distributed the vaccine, you know, and where vaccine nationalism is applied and vaccine politics are applied, and there are definitely winners and losers to how the vaccine's been distributed. So you see, it's quite interesting to the size of the of the coin there, cooperative, non-cooperative, which you can apply to the vaccines. The development of the vaccines, world record time, everyone benefits. And then when it comes to the distribution and you get like countries and politics and nationalism involved, there are then winners and losers. It's interesting how that, yeah, I, I did, again, that was another of the categories that I found, distribution of costs and benefits. And it's interesting how, depending on a lot of different factors, when the higher the stakes get, the more likely collaboration is often to come out as the right answer. And the mm. distribution of, of, it's like if you look at wars, for example, so wars are often fought to gain sort of wealth and territory, change raise, regime 
uh, impose policies on adversaries who don't don't want those policies or, or spread values like religions, you know, if you go back into the distant past and all this kind of stuff. But typically, when a war is resolved, the more costly it's becoming for both sides, the more likely you are to end up with some something that's amicable. So there was the, an interesting uh, example is if you look at sort of the surrender of Japan and Germany and stuff in the Second World War, you know, they were kind of using game theory, whether consciously or not, to say, well, what's the least worst outcome for us at this point? Like, what can we do that will mean that our country can one day recover rather than it just being absolutely obliterated by, you know, by, by the winning side? So it's, yeah, the, the distribution of cost and benefits, particularly when you're applying game theory to real world examples, tends to really shine through as, as one of the major driving factors for why people will go with a certain scenario that they've sort of workshopped out yeah, in their head. That's interesting. I guess the really important point there, though, is that sometimes even taking an option which costs you an awful lot will actually be the best option according to game theory, because it might cost you less than all the others if that makes sense yeah i mean when we talk about the properties of the game there there are a couple there as well that we talk about dominant strategy and the nash equilibrium um, which is an interesting name in itself a dominant strategy is where this is the optimal move that only considers yourself so regardless of how everyone else is playing or what they're going to do or what you think they're going to do you just put the optimum move for yourself and the nash equilibrium is where your your move within the game considers the opposition, which is yeah, sort of touches absolutely. on what you were talking about mm. before there, Julian. Well, I've got cons- an even better example. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't find a lot of real world examples of where the dominant strategy comes to the fore, unless you, you've obviously got someone who's in such a dominant position that they don't really need game theory to tell them that, if that makes sense. You know, like yeah. Ro- Roman Empire, I guess, mm. against the Gauls or something. I mean, they, you know, they were just going to, stomp them so i mean you know you don't need game theory for that but the nash equilibrium one of the best examples i found of of somebody using that and i don't know whether he did it consciously or not but we all remember the cuban missile crisis so president kennedy why did he choose a naval blockade as a key response when the former soviet union put long-range ballistic missiles into cuba and if you think about it he's applying game theory because he understood that you know, a blockade couldn't remove the missiles that were already there. And if he had wanted to do that, if he'd taken the dominant strategy, he could probably have used America's might, given how close Cuba is to America and everything else, to, to strike and, and take out those missiles and remove that threat. But his calculation was he understood that both sides had a good chance of destroying each other if he did something like that. Or, and, and so the cost, this goes back to costs and benefits and distributions, but he, he understood that the best answer was actually that both sides won. So he gave them an alternative approach rather than blow up the missiles with an airstrike or invade Cuba, he, or rather than even overthrow the Castro regime or, or something like that. You know, Records have shown that they considered all of those moves uh, because it's a long time ago, so a lot of stuff's been declassified. But they were all inferior to the net gain of putting a blockade around there and meaning that both sides could back down but keep their honour. Mm. Yeah. And that, that is the Nash equilibrium right there. That, that is a perfect real-world example of, of what the Nash equilibrium is all about. That's a good one, yeah. And I think using nuclear missiles as the deterrent, there's a whole load of game theory that's applying there. Yeah, perfect example. Yeah, again, you know, where where mutually assured destruction equals equilibrium, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and then, sorry, the final bit is the rules of the game. Yeah. So everyone, we all need rules in a game, you, you know. It, despite them saying that the best game is played on your own, that's not true in this situation. With game, you need two, <laughs> you need two or more players. Thank you, Julia. You've got to have, each player has, has got to have two or more choices. There's, there's going to be clear winners 
or there's a, sorry, not clear winners and losers. There is a clear win or lose outcome. And it's clear how you win or lose as well. And that the players need to be rational and know what the rules are. And interestingly, act, acting out of self-interest as well. So they're, they're the rules of the game. We can tie this now to that simple example of the prisoner dilemma. Do you want, to, do you want another crack at it, JK? Is this where two members of a gang are arrested, placed in solitary confinement, and then the prosecutors have enough evidence to convict both on a lesser charge? What they do is start to interview them separately. And then in that situation... After they've duffed them up. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Go back to the American <laughs> example. No. Um, so no. They beat them up first. <laughs> what happens is that uh, prisoner A and prisoner B betray each other, and each of them serves two years in prison. Or prisoner A betrays B, but B remains silent. So A becomes free, and B then serves three years in prison. Prisoner A remains silent, but B betrays A. Then B is the one that is set free, and A serves the, the time in prison. But if A and B both remain silent, both of them will only serve a lesser sentence on the lesser charge uh, in prison. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. So, so if we apply that, if we apply that example then to the the categories of game theory, if we go back to the type of decision, so in a single game, the type of decision is to betray the other from a self interest point of view. Yeah. So this type of decision is probable. Yeah. The type of game. So this is a one decision game. Yeah, where they can be cooperative. Yeah. That's if A and B both remain silent. Both of them are only going to serve one year in, in prison, which is the lesser charge. Or they can be non-cooperative, which is basically yeah. everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they each betray each other, yeah, each of them are going to serve two years in prison. And if one or the other betrays you know, the opposite and they remain silent, then one will get let off and the other person will, will serve the most years. Yeah. In it's interesting though, isn't it, how... In, I mean, obviously, I haven't been to prison. I don't work with prisoners, but typically, the the, the stereotype idea is is that the code within a prison is always that you don't snitch, mm-hmm. because this this theory is actually baked into sort of everything. It's baked into everyday life, where the best thing to do is for everyone to stay quiet and remain solid. It's like when you know, uh, I don't know, you, you see these films in scenes in films, don't you, where it's like, who did that? And nobody steps forward. Everyone would rather stay silent or yeah. I'm, I'm Spartacus, you know, where everyone steps forward to protect the real Spartacus. Because very often the Nash equilibrium is better than, than one person going out on their own and, and going for the dominant strategy. It's part of the mafia code. Yeah. And it's also part of pop culture as well. So I, I literally, this has just popped into my head. But if any of you remember the Dark Knight, cracking movie, Christopher Nolan movie, second one in yeah, his Batman yeah, trilogy. Fantastic film, right? Um, spoilers, by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen that. What have you been doing with your life if you haven't seen The Dark Knight? Go and see it. But there's a bit in that where this gets applied, where there's two groups of innocent people on two different boats that the Joker's rigged with bombs, and they each have the detonator for each other's boats. Mm. So they have the detonator for the boat they're not on. And he says, if you blow up the other boat and kill everybody on it, you get to go free, and then you know you can live. Otherwise, they'll blow you up, and so you die. And if neither of you blow each other up, then I'll, I'll blow you both up. And they, human nature prevails, yeah. basically, is the, is the proverb. So, so again, the Nash equilibrium prevails because they 
they don't blow each other up. And he's absolutely confounded by the fact that they haven't done that because he fully expected them to. And one boat were and then prisoners, Batman, weren't they? One boat was Yeah, one, one was a boat full of full of murderers, yeah. sorry. Yeah, so he did throw an extra an extra spanner in the works. But even the, the convicted murderers didn't blow up, the, despite being murderers, didn't blow up the innocent people. And the innocent people, even though they argued about the fact that the, the murderers had had their chance at life and basically thrown it away, they also didn't blow them up. Mm. And the Joker was confounded by that. And then obviously Batman stops him from killing everybody. So yeah, another example of where... Exactly that. I wonder if they actually got that idea from the uh, this example yeah. because it was to do with prisoners. I wonder. Um, but yeah. but yeah, another yeah. example of the same thing. Where again, it's it's always going back to that Nash equilibrium as being the the most sensible outcome uh, in all the research I've done. Anyway. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Maybe. It, it's interesting in terms of this example, in terms of the properties of the game. So the dominant strategy is to is to betray the other from a self interest point of view. You remember the dominant Absolutely, strategy yeah. where you only think of yourself. So that it's to betray the other from a self-interested point of view. But from a collective point of view, it's probably the worst outcome. Right? It's best to mm. remain silent. Um, and the Nash equilibrium suggests, remember you're always considering the other person with Nash equilibrium, just both players think the other is going to betray them, which is what you talked about, Julie, in terms of the culture within the prison mm. environment. You think the other is going to betray you, and therefore you betray each other and get the yeah. worst outcome. Well, I guess it, I guess maybe I wasn't quite right with that example because I think the idea is in the prison, if you betray another prisoner, you get shivved <laughs> or something <laughs> like that, isn't it? It's much more complicated than that. It's like the the consequences yeah. of betraying everyone else's trust and, and stepping out of ranks is, is probably going to be worse than whatever you'll gain from being a snitch or whatever, uh, I guess. Something like that anyway. Yeah. But ironically, get the worst outcome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so to obey by the rules of the prison, you in itself get the worst outcome for yourself. In terms of uh, other use cases for this then, or, or the reason that this is is so integral to lots of things, obviously not not GAN, let's go into the real, not go into the real detail of why it's applicable to GAN. We can do that in another episode. But w- what's the um, significance of this within IT, I suppose? No idea. <laughs> application to GAN. Well, I think that was the thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. it's the application of the gas. I mean, they use, they use it in a lot of areas, though, don't they? So it's 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 used a lot. I've heard of it being used for um, things like advertising. I think they do quite a lot of modelling. What was it I was think, talking about the other day? Pri- prices, isn't it? A lot of stuff is sort of yeah. workshopped out as to what's yeah. the competition going to do. Mm-hmm. And then you uh, you apply algorithms which run game theory simulations, maybe maybe using GAN, and then that generates your pricing to make sure that you don't get undersold or oversold. You're not overselling or whatever. Stock stock market analysis as well, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and anything with like sort of big data where you're not sure what your opponents are going to do, I suppose. Mm, yeah, anything that involves decisions where you don't where you don't know all the permutations. Do you know what I mean? So you can do what we talked about right at the beginning, where you can apply a strategy because you know all the decisions mm. within that game. And therefore, if you, apply, if you only apply the right strategy, you win. Now, if you've got decisions and you just, you know, you, you don't know all the information for that game and random chance applies, then game theory is good for you. Mm. So, that could, so there's a whole load of use cases where they apply. I mean, the nuclear weapons, missile defense, example, the sales, price wars you've talked about, stock market, for example conflict resolution whole load of uh, elections and voting but yeah the the it'd be interesting in terms of the it one it'll be, it'll be good to talk about the gan example yeah how we GAN definitely will interested yeah. how 
how game theory applies to GAN. Yeah, at some point we'll do a deep dive on GAN, um, but uh, maybe not for today. <laughs> I haven't got enough time. Um, so if we move on to the uh, recommendation section then, um, that sounds like fun. So, uh, Will, do you want to go first with your recommendation? Yeah, okay. My, rec- my recommendation are cookies. <laughs> uh, I love cookies. Who doesn't? What, chocolate chip? <laughs> not chocolate chip, though, no. Cookies, cookies with a bad rep. Cookies, as I'm sure we, you all know, is are used in web browsers to store information about you, the person that's looking at that particular web browser. They're important because the internet and the web and web browsers doesn't store state. And what I mean by that is as you go from one, one web page to another web page, you lose the information and the interaction that you've had with that web page, it just disappears because it doesn't store what you've done. And that's basically how the internet works and why the internet is so successful. So in order that you don't have to keep rekeying in information and reselecting, you have what's called a cookie. And that cookie is basically storing the information as a little file that stores on that is stored on your PC. So a, a classic example is, is the shopping basket. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, every yeah, time yeah, you yeah. select something, the information is stored in a cookie. Now, cookies have been around since the dawn of time and the dawn of the web and the dawn of the web browser originated by Netscape. Uh, they're really important. And there are a whole different types of cookies that are out there, and most are really useful. So authentication, for example, if you're going onto a website, the, inf- the information, your credentials are stored in a, in a cookie. Now, one in particular has made companies squillions of pounds and that is the tracking cookie i was just going to come on to those yeah (laughs) yeah the third party tracking. everyone's favorite (laughs) everyone's favorite and it's the likes of facebook and google that have exploited these cookies and given them a bad rep so cookies are good (laughs) it's these companies (laughs) these companies that have given them the bad rep and the reason they give them a bad rep is they use third party tracking cookies to track your information as you traverse the internet and there are a whole load of privacy concerns about it. And you get the really annoying EU data protection yeah. pop up from every website that you now visit that says, are you sure you want to say That's definitely cookies? a, uh, a negative point for cookies is being asked constantly, are you happy to accept these cookies? Check every single type of cookie and all of that kind of stuff. I hate it because it just makes me hungry. <laughs> Isn't it the most annoying thing? And ironically, you can't save the fact that you've pressed yes, yeah. I'm happy with the cookies. because to store the fact that you said yes, you need a cookie. <laughs> it's cookieception, isn't it? It's cookies within cookies. You need a cookie to tell them that you're happy so with cookies. So we're talking about. So they're talking about the cookie apocalypse now and the death of the cookie. No, well, that's not actually true. That is the death of the third-party tracking cookies, which is only going to be a good thing. Um, it's implemented now in Safari and Firefox. They're doing it in Google, and it will stop the likes of Google and Facebook tracking yourself tracking your information across different websites that you visit. The interesting thing is how Google is now going to make its squillions of pounds from ads when there are no cookies. Mm, Yeah, I'm sure they'll find a way, won't they? (laughs) So uh, my recommendation this week is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yes, I'm going Marvel again, sorry. But it was the big kind of thing that I've been watching recently. Available on Disney+, Plus, series starring Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. Pretty good, I'd say. Um, Not Stella, I don't think it was quite as good as WandaVision, which I recommended on a previous episode. 
But if you are a fan of the MCU, it's definitely worth a watch. I won't say anything much else about it, I don't think, because I don't want to spoil anything. But yeah, if you haven't watched it, Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney Plus, definitely. Tinder, did you want to go next with your recommendation? Not really, given the two recommendations that you guys have just done. I feel a little bit kind of, I'm going to let people down with mine, but it's a bit practical, let's <laughs> say. So I have recently bought a tripod stand light. So it's a ring light on a tripod stand. Is this your budding Instagram career as a... As an underwear model or whatever. <laughs> no, not quite. It's going to help me. Uh, so with with my client device, I never have my camera on because where I'm sitting, there's no good light. So I bought this so that I can kind of stop with my camera on and see people. Oh, I things. see. Right. So people can see your face. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I bought and one for cheap. It's like 20 quid from Amazon. It's the AIXPI. Uh, it's a, a 10 inch ring light and it's quite nifty, actually. It's, it's got its own little kind of remote control. You, powers up by usb tripod can be extended out to four inches i think something like that and it's a nice little gadget it doesn't take too much space upon your desk either but uh, yeah as for the instagram career i might kind of think about that (laughs) or reserve judgment you can put your pictures up on ddk twitter just a quick top tip on that actually one thing that i was tipped off about by a friend a while ago was putting a light behind your screen to save your eyes so i actually have an angle poise light that is behind my monitor that kind of shines on the wall and stuff and it means that my eyes get noticeably less sore so if you're home working and you're finding that you're staring at a screen a lot and your eyes are going a bit square put quite a strong light behind your monitor obviously not shining into your eyes but behind the monitor so it's sort of an ambient glow around it and it doesn't um, hurt your eyes so much so you could always use it for that if you're not on a call I think, chaps, that is the show. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Once again, it's been a pleasure talking through this stuff. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do. We're available on ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com. If you want to tweet us, we're available at ddklimited, so at ddklimited. And on LinkedIn, we are Dalton Day Candola. Just time to say as well, a quick thank you to Charlie for editing these episodes for us. Does a brilliant job on quite tight timescales. So thanks very much for that, mate. And thanks to you two as well. It's been a pleasure. And we'll talk to everyone next time. Thank you. See you later. I'm so keeping that bit in where you screwed up the prisoner thing. <laughs> uh, it's shit. That was the highlight. That, that was good. That it bit, did yeah. show that I hadn't read it uh, beforehand. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that makes it funny, I think. But then I ignored what you were saying <laughs> for about 10 minutes and now I was reading it. So it's better the second time. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I think the fact that we came back to it is actually quite quite good. And you did get it 100% the second time. So I don't think it looks too bad.